Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us, and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Well, the situation looked really bleak. It was desperate even. Defeat was, was sure. 1940, the Nazi German army had some 400,000 British, French, and Dutch soldiers surrounded and trapped in a small pocket of land right up against the English Channel, a community called Dunkirk. The Prime Minister of Britain, Winston Churchill, he called this, this entrapment, this scenario, a colossal military disaster. He said the whole route and core and brain of the British army are stranded at Dunkirk. They're about, to be per- they're about to perish or be captured. The German tanks, even the German bombers were closing in. They were ready to destroy the army and just level massive casualties. It was going to be a massacre. Everything seemed hopeless. Such a little chance of escape. A little chance of victory, but, but none at all. And yet, a miracle happened. A miracle happened in, in a couple ways. First of all, for one, the, the, the advancing German army just stopped. It, it was so strange. It was confusing. Uh, as, the, as the tanks drew forward, as, as the bombers swept in, it was just a moment of they just, they just paused. There was confusion among the leadership. A halt order was given, and... The war just stopped, as it were, for a moment or two. And in that pause, in that halt, escape was able to happen. And this was maybe the greater miracle was the way that the soldiers themselves were evacuated off the beaches of Dunkirk. They had no way to go forward. There was no way to breach the German lines. And and it felt like there's no way to get home either, which is just several miles across the sea. But the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, he issued an order to the people of Britain, and he said, any boat, any ship available, whether large or small, whether it's your, your family's pontoon boat or speedboat or, or any ship in the fleet that we could get, get across the channel, get to Dunkirk, evacuate those soldiers that are there in France. And as that order and call went out, regular civilians, ordinary people, regular boats, they all answered the call. In the, in the records that exist and the tally that was lev, uh, listed there, over 800 craft, a massive fleet, crossed the English Channel, more than half of those boats being those, those little small family boats, particular civilian craft. And, and those, those ships crossed and they rescued the majority, over 300,000 men stranded at Dunkirk. In the follow-up in Churchill's famous speech, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight on the land, that speech. He called the evacuation and rescue a miracle of deliverance. I think that's a key word there, deliverance. Because there's times in our lives as well, maybe you're here this morning and you feel that as well, where you ask for and you need and you desire deliverance. Could that be you today? 
Is there a sense in your heart and in your life where you're just, you're backed up against the sea and there's no escape behind you and the enemy is in front of you, the hardship is in front of you, the trial is in front of you and there's no way through it and an army of fury is headed to destroy you. Do you, do you feel that? And do, do you sense and desire some kind of rescue and aid to help you in your plight and in your trouble? Are you having your Dunkirk moment, as it were, right now? Maybe you ask yourself, well, does God really care? I mean, does he really, really care about the need that I'm in? Does, does he know my need for deliverance? Does he, does he take notice of it at all? In this Advent series, we've called Fulfilled, His Promise Kept, Our Longing Met. We've been looking at Matthew's gospel and Matthew's uh, telling of the infancy narrative of Jesus. He's been telling us about the birth and childhood of Jesus here in just these first couple chapters. And Matthew's been doing it in a very unique way. It's not just that he's telling a history story or giving, uh, giving some account. He's attempting to show that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the true Israel, that Jesus is the forever King and Messiah. And to connect the dots for us in those claims, he is taking us to the Old Testament Scriptures. Particularly, Matthew is, is taking quotations from the prophets and demonstrating how Jesus fulfills those very prophecies. What was spoken of hundreds of years before, hundreds of years prior to Jesus' coming, Jesus now fills up or he completes and satisfies every one of them. Every one of those promises fulfilled connect with the longing of the human heart. And so Matthew's been very careful to show how those longings that we have connect in the words of the prophets with what Jesus has done for us, how those longings of the human heart are fulfilled in Christ. If we're all honest, if we're honest, all of us, we have to understand that we need rescue. We need deliverance. Every one of us here today needs a deliverer. My question is, though, how do we get in on that deliverance? Because maybe you would say, yes, I know there's a deliverer, but, but he would, would he deliver me? Would he, would he care for and rescue me? Maybe we would ask, what are those essential ingredients that we need to, to secure that rescue, to get in on what Jesus has for us? Well, this morning as we go to this story here in Matthew 2, I want to help us see how Matthew connects with us. And how he helps us see how we can get in on the deliverance that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. I want to show you two of these things in this account. If we're going to be delivered at all, the first thing that we need to know and the first thing that we need to, to connect with is that we need to recognize our need for deliverance. You, you and I need to recognize that we are in a really, really tough spot we have to come to terms with the depth of the peril that we are actually in, the spiritual danger that we exist in, that we live in right now, the soul danger that we are in. It, it requires recognition. It, it pleads to us and says, pay attention to this need. Pay attention to the trouble you're in. And in Jesus' infancy story, we, we come to the part of the story that no one really retells. This, this does not show up in the nativity scenes that we have around our culture today. There, there is not a part of this story that shows up there. It's an ugly picture. It's a dark story. It's evil events that, that would otherwise ruin the pretty, safe, comfy, cozy picture of the nativity scene we have. And yet it's, 
It's essential to the story. Last Sunday, you heard about these group of men, these individuals that came from the east, these wise men or, or magi who came to worship the Christ child. And they came into the city of Jerusalem to seek the child, and they went to the government leader, Herod. They went to the king, thinking that maybe the child would be there in his household. Their designs were to worship the Christ, but, but when Herod learned that they had come to worship the king of Jews, Herod had a different agenda. There was no baby in his household. In fact, what he heard was that there was a rival king on the scene now. And his, his jealousy, his paranoia, his suspicion, it was, it was activated in his life, and he sought from that moment on to eliminate the rival king. You should just know that whenever you read the Bible and you hear the story Herod or you hear the name Herod, whenever you hear the Christmas story and you hear his name, you're hearing a villain, you're hearing about a wicked man, much like the Pharaoh of Moses' day in Egypt. Herod the Great was an energetic, aggressive leader. He was an incredible builder. He had a mind to see great structures lifted and built up, including in Jerusalem itself, the temple that Jesus himself worshipped at, and other strong fortresses throughout the land. If you've been to Israel or, or seen pictures of places in that, you might know of Masada. That was a palace and a fortress that Herod had built. But he built these places out of his pride and ego because he was so paranoid about his power. He was, he was tyrannical. His love for power and control were so great that he would go to utter extremes any cost he could to keep from losing his power. He was, he was established by the Roman emperor as the king in Israel, but it was really a puppet kingdom. He was just there holding place for Rome. And so he, he ruled as if he was the king, but his power was all derived. And he was so paranoid about losing it. He was a, a madman, such to a degree that he executed two of his sons when a rumor about mutiny went around. Furthermore, he, he had 10 wives, 10 women that he married, but he was suspicious about even them. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, Herod was so protective of his favorite wife, Miriam I, that he instructed his soldiers to kill her if anything were to happen to him so that no one else could marry her. In fact, on his deathbed, he had her executed because he was paranoid about her. One of his final commandments at his death also was that all the Jewish elders who were imprisoned at the moment, that they too would be killed because he wanted every single person in Israel to mourn while he was dead. He was just an egotistical maniac, cutthroat and paranoid against any perceived threat, even the threat of an infant. So when the wise men come in and say, we've come to worship the Christ, the, the king of the Jews, he's got to go to attack. It was something that required drastic action. Herod told the Magi back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, he told them and sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But his agenda was not worship. His agenda was destruction. And yet the Magi went and they worshipped Christ. They found him in Bethlehem and they rejoiced and they offered him gifts. And as they got ready to return back, they thought, well, should we go back to Herod? Should we go back to Jerusalem? And the scripture tells us that they were warned in a dream. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod and so they departed to their own country by another way. 
No information was brought back to Herod. Nobody came back and said, well, that, that kid, he's at 101 Main Street in Bethlehem. You can find him there, and his parents look like this and that. And, you know, it's real easy. Just, just go down there, and you'll find him. None of the information came back, so Herod couldn't quietly send his assassins and depose of the, quiet, the child quietly. He, he couldn't take out Jesus quickly without other issues. So another more overt and aggressive tactic would be needed. And that's where Matthew's account takes us back to Bethlehem. Look with me at verse 13. Now, when they had departed, these wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Our friend Joseph, faithful, noble Joseph, has another angel visit, another dream, another message from God. And the angel came and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. The angel shows up and says, Joseph, get up now. Get out now. Go. You just have to imagine the, the haste that that would require. It's, it's not something that you can just plan and pack for, get a moving truck, truck uh, arranged and get everything in boxes and ready and roll out quickly and, and safely that way. You're grabbing just a few things and you're hitting the door and gone. It's refugee status. Only because Herod's intentions were murder. Danger abounds. It was as if the angel was saying to Joseph, tonight is the night Herod's goons are coming. You better flee. And this is the part of the Advent story we don't tell often. But consider the absolute danger and fragility of the purposes of God that were there in that moment. The Son of God, the Christ, is an infant. And a tyrannical king is bearing down on that community with all his might to destroy the child. A little baby and a powerful army. Who's going to win that one? And if you think about it, everything could have been lost. All of God's promises, all of God's purposes, just crushed in that moment. All could have been lost. But no, <laughs> not with God. Even though his purposes seem to hang by the smallest and the weakest of threads, God's purposes will stand. His promises will always be fulfilled. He always keeps his promises. In reality, where it looked like Herod could have the victory in that moment, Herod had no shot at all at threatening the Son of God. Faithful Joseph receives God's word to flee to Egypt quickly and just like every other place in the story, every time you meet Joseph in the Bible, you get what he does. He immediately obeys God. And so verse 14, he rose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. They got up and they got out and they fled. And they remained there until the death of Herod. In fact, this is exactly what God had purposed where it seemed like everything was up in the air now, everything was threatened. No, this was exactly what God was doing. This is exactly how he was working. And Matthew picks up on this in being in alignment with God's plans and purposes because he quotes, he says, this happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This aligns exactly with God, what God was saying back in Hosea's day. And he quotes Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt... I called my son. One of the things that Matthew is attempting to do in his account of Jesus' life is to show how Jesus is the true king of Israel, even the true Israel himself. 
He's using a literary technique called typology. Jesus is a type of Israel. He is the greater and truer king of Israel, the greater and true Israel itself. And so when Matthew quotes Hosea 11.1 here, it's that he's connecting with Hosea's point in this way. God spoke through Hosea, and as God spoke through Hosea, he was warning Israel about their idolatry and their wickedness against God. That was one of the things the prophets always, often said. You people of God, Israel, you're in rebellion. You're wandering from God. Repent and come back to him. And so Hosea is doing this very thing as God speaks through him. Israel at that time, they had rebelled. They had thrown off their need for God. There was a sense in the, in the community and in the kingdom that they didn't even need a king. Their, their motto was, no one shall rule us here. We're independent on our own, much like the culture and the nature of our culture today. We'll have no king to rule over us. Everybody as autonomous individuals has the right to do whatever they want, think whatever they want, believe whatever they want, say whatever they want. We are kings unto ourselves, And so they didn't live under the rule and reign of God. They threw off God. So God through Hosea was speaking to them and saying, you're committing spiritual adultery, and because of that, I'm going to send the empire of Assyria to destroy you and scatter you. But through his, God's message through Hosea, he wasn't just telling them about judgment and wrath. He was telling them about his grace. God loves his people as his own. So as he was calling out to them through Hosea, he began to tell them their own story. He said, Israel, I want you to think about who you were, where you came from. And he begins their story with their captivity in Egypt. There, God showed up big. In Egypt, he sent plagues. He sent Moses to, to call out and to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And through the 10 plagues, he, he lifted the finger of Pharaoh on Israel one by one. He loosened the grip. And God reminded them this through the prophet Hosea. Hosea 11.1, 1, he says, When Israel was a child... I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. He pointed them to the deliverance that he enacted in the Exodus event. And you think, well, God rescued Israel. They'll get it together. They'll see how great a Savior they'll have, they have, and they'll, they'll just walk faithfully with him. I mean, it'll be, it'll be great from there on out. But, but Israel kept rebelling, kept running away, kept pushing God off kept committing spiritual adultery, and they utterly and completely failed to walk in God's ways. They hardly got out of their enslavement in Egypt into the wilderness, and they were already setting up false golden calves to worship as they wandered. And then even as they got into the land, their hearts were just completely and often turned away from God. And the purpose for which God had given Israel was thwarted again and again. Israel was to be a distinct people by which the deliverance of God would come to all peoples. But they kept failing, in spectacular ways even. Israel as a nation never brought God's deliverance to all the world. You may think, well, God's promises are failed. They're just foiled every time. But friends, God doesn't give up on His promises. In fact, He brings a deliverer who is the greater and true Israel, to bring God's deliverance to all the world. God, through the deliverer, through Christ, 
brings grace, brings mercy. Matthew is creating a parallel vision for us to see that Jesus is the experience and the culmination and the fulfillment of all that Israel was meant to be. So just as Israel experienced the deliverance of God from Egypt, so Jesus as an infant or toddler would experience the same deliverance from Herod and come up out of Egypt identified as the Son of God. As God called Israel His Son as He rescued them from Egypt, so He identifies Jesus as His Son, bringing Him up out of Egypt as well. God sends Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to escape the wrath of Herod so that a word of God's calling out of His Son from Egypt could be fulfilled in Christ coming up out of Egypt. Jesus is the true Son of God, the true Israel, the true King who has been sent to save His people from their sins. You might say, well, what does that have to do with me? If God delivers His Son from impending doom, could He also deliver you? Well, you just need to recognize you need deliverance. Do you see that you are in a, a state of a condition of heart and soul that is, that is desperate, that is a dangerous place? Do you recognize your own need for deliverance? Do you, do you see that it's not just that we make mere mistakes, that we, we drop the ball every once in a while? The human condition, friends, is not one of overall health with a need for some occasional treatment or a minor ache and pain here or there. The Bible says that we have a really, really bad condition. You could use the word a depraved condition. Consider what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I mean, just consider the deep words there, the heavy words that are there. Your spiritual condition is dead. You're enslaved in bondage to your sin. Under the power of the prince of the air, Satan. Even worse, children under wrath. Friends, things aren't well for you with just a little bit of trouble here or there. They're horrible. And they're trending even to disastrous. If you would allow me to just borrow the words of a preacher from the 16th century, I want us to see how terrible our plight is. He says this, O oh, sinner! Consider the fearful danger you are in. It's a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you were held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed. You, you hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have nothing to lay hold of to save yourself. You have nothing to keep off the flames of God's wrath. You have nothing of your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. Friends, that's your condition. Wake up. Recognize your need for deliverance. You and I need a Savior 
Our, our backs are against the wall of the sea. There's an army of God's fury coming against us. And we have no help. We, we think we have no help in and of ourselves. You need a Savior. And the good news is, a deliverer has been given. A rescuer has been sent. So, so first of all, you need to recognize your condition. You need to recognize your peril and your need for deliverance. But don't just sit there in your need. Recognize and receive, secondly, your call back home. Because there's a great invitation for all of those who see and recognize their need. There's a great invitation to come back home. There's a response that we could take. Sure, we could, we could see our great need and just say, well, bummer, that's it. Maybe it won't be as bad as that health fire and brimstone pastor is making it. But what if it is that deep? What if it is that bad? Will you respond to the deliverer? We're going to jump down here in the story for just a moment. We're going to skip over verses 16 to 18. We'll come back to those next week. There's another prophecy in them that Jesus fulfills that we'll, we'll track with. But go with me down to verse 19 in Matthew's gospel here. Herod dies. That's what Matthew states. We'll move the, forward story, move the story forward. When Herod died, Matthew says, he, an angel, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to a dream in Joseph in Egypt. Now a third time for Joseph has an angel appearing in a dream, and he's got a message for him. The reign of terror is over under Herod, which, side note, died gruesomely. It's horrible according to the historian's depictions. But once he's off the scene, this angel comes and, and he says to Joseph, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who thought, sought the child's life are dead. And how does Joseph respond? The same way he always does. He hears God's word. He believes God's word, and he follows God's word. I mean, that is just the prototype of the life of a follower of Jesus. Hear his word, believe his word, follow his word. And Joseph does it. He rose, took the child and his mother, and went back home to the land of Israel. And there it is, God keeping his promise. He delivers his son from the terror of Herod, and brings him into the land. This kind of has a storybook ending, doesn't it? It's nice. It, it feels good. You know, we just close our Bibles. and hap They lived happily ever after. You could just put on it there. But you might be a little put off at this moment. I, I have a feeling some of you might be. You think about it and you go, well, that, isn't that nice? God delivers His Son, Jesus, and His family. Of course He would. They're the Holy Family. Like, God would do that. That would be right. But... But maybe you don't feel like God feels that way about you. Maybe you have some serious questions and doubts if God would enact the same kind of deliverance that he did for the Holy Family that he would for you as well. I mean, you just think about what I told you a few minutes ago, that the Bible says that you're dead in your sin, that you're enslaved to Satan, and actually a child under wrath. And you know that's where you stand. The sermon that I quoted from the 16th century pastor was Jonathan Edwards' sermon, his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you may feel exactly that way about God towards you as well. Yeah, he's angry. He's furious. 
And you may think that God is going to do everything in his power to destroy you, that he has nothing good headed your way. So even though you may be aware of your need for deliverance, you might be tempted to think that God is not inclined to deliver you. Maybe you just believe you've blown it too deeply. Or you think that God just doesn't care because you're nobody noble, you're nobody great. He just, he just sidelines you. Maybe you think that God wants to see you squirm. He delights in your displeasure. And so you're just backing up. I mean, you're just here maybe this morning because it's like a decent thing to do. But you want to keep your distance from the angry, wrathful God. I mean, consider what God said to the people of Israel, his own people in Hosea's day. This, this passage that, that Matthew is quoting in Hosea 11, it's, it's profound, it's meaningful. God says to Israel, Israel, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. He's telling them their story, right? When they were little, I called him my son. I loved them and, and I brought them out of Egypt. And yet the more they were called... God says, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. God said, Israel just kept pushing me away even though I rescued them and delivered them. And and he said, furthermore, down just in verse 5 of Hosea 11, because they have refused to return to me, the the sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and they, though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. I mean, here's the problem. It doesn't sound like God takes His kids back once they fail. It sounds like if you get on God's bad side, you're there to stay. I mean, we just look, if, if Israel isn't delivered, then why in the world would we think for a moment that God would deliver us? Aren't we just as bad? if not worse. But if we leave God's story here, we don't catch the heart of God. Friends, if we just leave what God says to Hosea here, we miss having an accurate vision of who God actually is. Because this is what God says next. He says to His people in verse 8 of Hosea 11, how can I give you up O Ephraim, it's another name for Israel. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? God says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, And I will not come in wrath. No, what does God do? He sends a deliverer for us. He has sent his son to come and to take the wrath of God in our place. He sends a king who suffered as if he was a sinner and died in our place, receiving the penalty of death that we deserve. God averts his wrath from his rebellious people and he places it on his son. His heart turns warm. His compassion grows deep and tender towards us. No, in fact, instead, the Scriptures say that instead of us being sinners in the hands of an angry God, 
We're invited to be sons and daughters in the hands of a loving father. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God sent the deliverer, Jesus, to rescue us from the tyranny of sin, Satan, and the devil. In Jesus, God offers deliverance. There's our way of escape. There is our rescue. If we would recognize our need and, and we would respond we would come home, we'll be found, we'll be rescued. And so that's the question that we should ask. Will we respond to his deliverance? Will, will we receive the call and the invitation to come back home? Because that's what God does. He calls his wayward children back home. God, uh, Hosea pictures God in this chapter of Hosea 11 roaring like a lion he says, they shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. The roar of God is his call to his children, come home. From wherever you are, from whatever desperate and dangerous situation you're in, no matter how far away you are or how ruined your life is from your sin, there is a deliverer. There is a rescuer. And friends, you aren't that rescuer. You aren't that deliverer. Jesus is because he's lived the perfect sinless life we have not. He's died in our place to atone for our sins. And he was raised to life again because he did that. You can come home. No matter how deep in sin you sense you are, no matter how distant you feel yourself to be in today, I'm inviting you. I'm calling you by the authority of Jesus the King. Just respond like Joseph did. Believe the Word of God. And come home. Repent of your sin. Trust Jesus as your only deliverer and follow him. You see, the good news is that the deliverer is calling you. Jesus is calling and saying, come home, my children. Come home. Don't stand far off. Don't stand with your back against the wall. I am the rescuer, and my cross was where I provided rescue for you. So come home. Have you responded to God's invitation of rescue? deliverance. Maybe you need to, for the very first time today, to, to cast off your sin and to come to Jesus after this service this morning. I'm not going to go back there in the lobby right away, but I'll, I'll be right down here at the front. And, and if you'd like to, just come down front and, and pray. I'll pray with you. We, we can walk together in, in understanding and seeing what it means to follow Jesus with all your life. Come home. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, uh, perhaps you just feel guilty and weighed down with your sin and you're saying, you know what, the distance is great and God just has me at arm's length. Christ has paid for all your sin. So he says, I stand at the door and knock, open up, come home, I I'm ready, I love you. But let's today see Jesus as our deliverer to hear his, his good news.
and to come home and follow him with all of our lives. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.